are gathered here in the honourable space of the zombie fishbowl to pass judgment on the souls of a few of the most diabolical, devious and damnable persons who have ever walked this great earth. And in doing so, we invoke the powers of entertainment purposes and humour and remind you that we are but two enthusiastic individuals and that these accounts are by no means complete, but are a simple selection of the best bits for your casual consumption. Now, that all being said, if murder, malice, immorality and malcontent makes you recoil in disgust without then immediately leaning forward with curiosity, then perhaps this episode, and arguably this podcast, is not for you (laughs) and your delicate nature. You have been warned. Now, we will begin our examination of the frighteningly gruesome side of human nature, and may God have mercy on our souls. Hello! Welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit, with us the equivalent of of your peers in intellect, personality, and Star Trek memes, Danielle and Melanie. I said my name weird then, Danielle. Melanie. (laughs) Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Happy 2021. Uh, 2021 (laughs) it's looking so much better than 2020 yeah yeah no this this is definitely a a a step up you know things are only just getting brighter and sunnier and shinier as every day passes we say with great sarcasm (laughs) we bite all of our tongues (sighs) yeah (laughs) It is on that note that I uh, am going to quickly, like, skid us into the episode. This is our second attempt. I don't, attempt's the wrong word, but the second time round recording this particular episode. Yeah. Um, we are doing what we said we were going to do, I think, about two months ago. <laughs> So at the end of some episode, some while ago, episode 43, um, we said that we would do an episode on serial killers. So here we are doing an episode on serial killers. But we did record one last year um, in which I was perfect. But Melanie Melanie had a, a technical issue in which her notes were disappeared from her laptop. Um. And so I had to really scramble to get things ready. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was a mess. It was an, it was an adorable mess because I feel like I I really did try to pull it off. But, it, oh no, it's not as bad as you think it was, but it was going to be an editing nightmare because there were quite a lot of points where you were searching through your handwritten notes and trying to go back and forth and. Yeah, you're better than that, and I and I and I know that you are, and and everybody else knows that you are. So, and also we were talking about Christmas, and we were talking about things that are irrelevant now, um, and we never got around <laughs> to posting it. So the whole thing kind of got uh, postponed till we were both happy to continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just said, well, I'm going to leave mine because I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think that there was anything particularly wrong with mine. Um, so there will be a space for my bit later. But this is just yeah, bringing yeah. everybody up to speed. Melanie's going to redo her bit. We're going to redo the ending and everything like that. We're not going to mention Christmas. Well, we all hope, we hope you all had a nice Christmas. Yeah, yeah. a safe one, a lovely one, a coup-free one. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have discussed for about 10 minutes before we started the um, events on the 7th of January so that we could get it out of our system. But I just, I don't think that it is fully. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a living and breeding in my system right now. But, you know, I'm going to try very hard not to keep bringing up the attempted coup on the capital. <laughs> we'll have to refer to things. Is this pre or post coup? Like, did you know there was a coup? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that coup that happened? <laughs> Run oh, by a God. bunch of morons. Oh, Lord. Lord. But, okay. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of the updates portion of the, the, the podcast anyway. So it's the sort of update, pithy version of the update is um, that this is newly recorded in the year 2021 of a topic that we picked and practiced in 2020. <laughs> and uh, now we're recording post-coup. Uh, <laughs> but Danielle couldn't be bothered doing any new re- new new research because... There was nothing wrong with our old research. So, yeah. No, your, your bit was awesome. And I look forward to uh, having it interjected in this episode. So Yeah, yeah it's going to be fun to um, go back in time before the coup. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, moving on. Um, Melanie, do you have any updates other than... Uh, <laughs> post- other than the Oh my god, no, no, not really. <laughs> no, it's all coup around here. Yeah, yes. <laughs> all coup up in here. <laughs> oh god. We laugh because we want to scream. Okay, yes. that's really what's going on. We're really angry, but you know, it's we have to laugh because if we don't, I'll just cry. <laughs> or throw yeah. things. Or yeah, throw things. I've been sleeping constantly because every time I wake up I think oh the world's shit let's go back to sleep but yeah, it's okay yeah. it's okay it's okay Th- that reminds me of also of, well that sort of brings us swiftly onto the thing like you can either choose to search your brain for something to moan about or you can go into the very far corners of your brain and find something to be positive about for your yeah. thing if you like um I'm looking around my room right now, looking for something that I can superficially um, <laughs> be oh. positive about. But I just, I'm so, I'm just so exhausted with it all Man. that I just kind of want to like. Sometimes it's okay not to be okay, so I'm just gonna let myself not be okay, and um, and I'm gonna find that this podcast is gonna be the therapy that I need right now. I think so. I think that that we'll we'll pick this up with a new fervor as as we look to this being the kind of thing that's sort of like keeping us bonded and together in all of this fucking madness. Um, Yeah. And at least we're playing video games again. I mean, that's that's a nice release, right? I'm enjoying playing video games again, but I'm also constantly telling myself in the back of my brain, you don't have time for this. You should be doing something else. What are you doing? You're shirking your responsibilities. Stop it. Do something else. But then that's just my brain punishing me for whatever I happen to be doing. So even if I was reading on post-colonial archaeology, it would probably be punishing me for not cooking tea. So 
Yeah. You know, it, I I just have to, uh, my, my brain will always find something to criticize me for. I, yeah, I could be doing all my work and I could just have not showered that day and it would be going, yeah, but you haven't bathed. Yeah, yeah. So really what you should do is anytime your voice tells you that you, you're not doing something you should be doing, it's like, fuck you, I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Was it you that told me that I should imagine that that voice is Donald Trump? Yeah. Yeah. And it then really helps. If he's the one going, you haven't showered today. Haven't showered. I mean, fuck you, Trump. Fuck <laughs> off in your fucking coup. <laughs> but have you made your tea yet? Yeah, you may be doing this, but you have some very nice tea just waiting for you, and you're just not doing it. <laughs> fuck you, Trump. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. I'm <laughs> video games is what I'm doing. Yep. Right, I should just start doing that, except for the fact that I actually feel physically ill right now, just joking about hearing his voice. Cause I I'm have, sorry. Like, no, it's all right. It's a genuine, I think a lot of people probably have it, like a genuine, um, what is it, like sort of like a Pavlovian response to his voice that makes me gag and feel nauseous. It makes the uh, muscles in my arms tense, like I'm ready to punch something. Oh, yeah. On the back of the neck because your jaw grinds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Yeah. What's your thing? Uh, My thing, thing, which is that the podcast is going to be a beacon of light in this dark cavern of fucking misery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, in avoiding the coup and staying far away from ever talking about the coup, um, (laughs) like I said, video games. I started playing The Forest, which is badass, and I'm just really, really enjoying it. It's like Minecraft, but with cannibals and zombies. Or not zombies, but cannibals and monsters. And the monsters are fucking wicked, and I was not expecting that. Like, I was just expecting a series of just, like, cannibal fuckers. And suddenly there are these these monsters. It's like two women back-to-back with... Or no, four women back-to-back with all their uh, legs acting as, like, spider arms. And you can see all their little vagina bits. And it's just... It's awesome. It's a It's a really great game. That sounds really fucked up. I, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to laugh at me. Oh, do it. I tried to play Minecraft, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's how I started. I started, I'm all like, this game is stupid because I don't understand it. I'm just punching a tree, and now what? Um, there's no tutorial. No, there's not. Well, I guess that there there is if you... You have to seek it out uh, in one of the, the menu options. But once you once you get the hang of it, it becomes, like, really, really addicting. Um, I can walk you through it sometime if you like. Well, I spent an hour, one, like, customizing a figure with, like, a false leg and everything like that. And I was like, all right, I'm happy with my, I'm happy with my Minecraft person now because I spend way too much time doing that. I yeah, yeah. literally was probably about an hour doing that. And uh, it dropped me into a world with, like, lakes or, like, ponds or whatever and, and stuff. I didn't understand what to do. I fell in the water and then a zombie came after me and then I was like, fuck, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I think I probably spent about 10 minutes wandering around trying to work out what the, was going on. And then I think, yeah, yeah, I got attacked by a zombie and said, screw it, I'm just going to go now. And I looked, yeah, yeah. where's the tutorial? Where's the thing that goes, if you press it picks up items and like that's what I like I like to be guided through things when I'm first playing stuff I didn't like that it was like we're gonna assume you know what you're doing yeah yeah I can walk you through some some fun things that'll make it easier for you in the future yeah later it's worth it's worth getting into it really is 
just wanted a little bit of fucking mindless, you know, play. Minecraft can provide, absolutely. Without having to clean up after myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I started playing. So what's the game called that that you recommended? The Forest. The Forest on PS4. You started playing? No, no, is that what you're playing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For our listeners, The Forest on PS4. I ended up list- I ended up playing, starting, because I have an Xbox Live membership thing. So you get Xbox, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but basically you can download loads of games that are available for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PlayStation has that, I've been doing that. <sighs> I'm trying to remember what it's bloody well called now. But anyway, it's like, yeah. So different games are free for different periods of time or whatever. And so I downloaded Outer Worlds, which is the same people that do Fallout and things like that. But it's mm. not it's not all the same people. It's like half of the same people. Got it. And it's not the greatest thing that I've ever played. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a mode in it. And this is where I'm going to divide our listeners. There's a mode in it that you can play, which is like really easy, which basically means that you have minimal um, combat and mostly it's about the storyline and yeah, the plot, the plot. And I'm playing in that mode, which means that every time I discover new places and whatever, half of them are already dead. Like oh, I'll shit. go like wandering around going, I didn't kill these things. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. This must be because I'm playing on easy mode, and that's yeah. funny. Yeah. So they just leave the corpses there to remind you of what you could could have been succeeding at. Essentially, I think that that's it's great. the only way that the game can kind of compensate is that it kills off the character that's built into the level, I suppose. <laughs> so, for example, I like had to go and I had to um, uh, take back over a power plant. Okay. Been overrun by mechanical robot things that had gone mad and with like marauders they're called. And I killed about five robot things and like two marauders or something. I was like, that was kind of easy. And then as I was wandering around, there was about five more robots and about ten dead marauders. And I was like, <laughs> I did not kill all these things. Oh, but you still get all of their loot. Nice. <laughs> Hey, nice. <laughs> Which is nice. But yeah, I'm just playing for the fun of it, really. But the problem with open games like that is that you can accidentally play for five hours and only achieve one task. Yeah. But that's fine. That's what I've been doing. I've been I've been avoiding the plot. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're avoiding your plot. I was going to say, like, don't get me wrong, I am actually also working quite hard on my university stuff. Um. I, I've, I've, like, Monday to Friday, I'm pretty much all uni. Yeah. The moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. Except for, like, when I'm watching programs. <laughs> but on the weekends is when I play. Yeah, and that's totally allowable. Yeah, I, I should feel. hope so. I should, yeah. I should damn never will hold. I was, um, uh... It, I, somebody told me that you can if if you're too productive you kind of pass the point of no return and then you become unproductive so yep. you have to like you have to give yourself time off or else you'll end up yeah but we yep. burn out basically basically yeah 
Basically. So I basically, basically, I can't <laughs> run out of words now. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we move on? Well, let's let's take our breath. Let yeah. us breathe in the the productivity and joy that we will get from this podcast in the year forward and and the taking the time to do the silly things like playing video games and and just having a good time when we can catch it and let us breathe out a fucking coup all right so (laughs) on the count of three one two three Well, I don't have enough air to breathe out a coup, but I, that still felt pretty good. Uh, sorry about that. It made me yawn. <laughs> I'll take that as a productive breath. Yeah. It must mean that I needed oxygen. Possibly, too. Yeah. All right. So shall we move on to our topic? I think so. So as alluded to before, the topic is serial killers. And specifically, our favorite serial killers. And it was requested by a listener, and I can't remember what listener that was now. So a friend of ours suggested this, and unfortunately at this moment we can't remember who it was. But uh, we love you, and we appreciate this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you! (laughs) Um, Yes, thank you very much, and... So the first thing I kind of want to mention is that it's kind of dodged to have a favorite serial killer. But also, I think very human. I think anybody who's into serial killers or is fascinated by them has something has something that can be closest, closest, best defined as a favorite serial killer. It's not that we like them as people, but uh, uh, one that fascinates us above all others. Yeah, that was what I was trying to walk you into explaining to listeners. No, that's it. I wanted you to say it. Um, That essentially there's no such thing as my favorite serial killer. That they're diabolical human beings that are, you know, not worthy of um, any admiration. However, we are fascinated morbidly by their stories Um, so the one I chose for my bit was somebody who I kind of admired her tenacity. Let's just put it that way. That's fucking Um, fair. Yeah, she certainly had a goal and she kept achieving it (laughs) (laughs) over and over and over again. She was a piece of shit. But boy, did she have her shit together. Boy, did she do it. She done did. So (laughs) here is the opportunity in which um, future Danielle can insert about 20 minutes of past Danielle into the podcast to talk about Marianne Cotton. Nice. Oh, I didn't do my definition. Bollocks. (laughs) Can you take this bit and then edit it before that bit? Probably. Okay. Maybe. (laughs) So before we dive into our favorite serial killers, um, let me do a brief little definition here, okay? So Wikipedia defines a serial killer as a typically a person who murders three or more people, usually in service of abnormal psychological gratification, with the murders taking place over more than a month and including a significant period of time between them. While most authorities set a threshold of three murders, others extend it to four or even lessen it to two. 
Psychological gratification is the usual motive for serial killing, and most serial killings involve sexual contact with the victim. But the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, states that the motives of serial killers can include anger, thrill-seeking, financial gain, and attention-seeking. The murders may be attempted or completed in a similar fashion. The victims may have something in common, for example, demographic profile, appearance, gender, or race. Although a serial killer is a distinct classification that differs from that of a mass murderer, spree killer, or contact killer, contract killer, there may be conceptual overlaps between them, and some debate exists on specific qualifications, especially with regard to spree killers in comparison to serial killers. So this beggars the question, what is the difference between a serial killer, a spree killer, and a mass murderer? A spree killer is a person that kills two or more people in very short succession. With serial killers, there's often a degree of planning, whereas spree killers are more impulsive. With serial killers, there is usually a little cooling off time between murders, but spree killers usually kill one after the other with very little downtime between. A mass murderer is someone that kills a large amount of people in one place at one time, so that while the goals in many cases, the, uh, the psychology of these and serial killers are very similar, these monsters tend to concentrate all their energy into one big time attack rather than spreading the body count over weeks, months, or even years. And that's my definition. Thank you, Melanie. You're welcome. And and it is with that that I will now segue into my bit in which future Danielle will insert 20 <laughs> minutes or so of past Danielle into the podcast for us all to enjoy. Yeah. In which I talk about a lady called Mary Ann Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> And I will choose which one of those segues to use when I'm editing later. I like the first one. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll just leave them both in so that people can see what hot messes we are. Yeah, maybe. That's that <laughs> was an option, too. We are we are not, you know, we, we just do this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> we do not have a degree in this. No. No. <laughs> so... In keeping with my my personality and the kind of thing that I usually bring, um, I thought I'd go with the first official serial killer in Britain. So a little history lesson as well. <laughs> Love it. Um, so that's what I've done. They're not necessarily the first serial killer ever. Um, it's pretty much impossible to track down and point out who the first serial killer was. Um but the person who's considered the first documented and wildly accepted serial killer in Britain is surprisingly actually a woman. And her name was Mary Ann Cotton. And boy, oh boy, was she prolific. You're in for a ride. All right. She was active between 1852 till her arrest in 1873. 21 years in which she likely murdered around 21 victims including, but not limited to, three husbands, at least 11 children, her own mother, a lover, and a friend. She died on the 24th of March, 1873, at the age of 40, of strangulation caused by the too short rope they hung around her neck at Durham Jail, England, an event that would inspire its own nursery rhyme. So, who was she? Mary Ann Robson was born on 31st of October 1832 in a borough of the city of Sunderland in northeast England. When she was 10, her dad, who was a colliery labourer, went and tragically died when he fell down a mine shaft at work. 
His body was delivered to her mother in a sack bearing the stamp property of the South Hetton Coal Company. How very considerate of them. Uh, Yeah. And they were then quickly evicted from the miner's cottage that they were living in. The next year, her poor widowed mother remarried to another miner. And about five years after that, at the age of 16, Mary Ann left home to become a nurse in the home of a colliery manager raising his children. Around three years later, after all of his children had been sent to various boarding schools, she returned to her stepfather and mother's home and began training as a dressmaker. So you get the idea that she's the child of of coal workers in northeast England, which is not rare, but it's a a very common story for the working class poor of the area at the time. Around a year after she'd moved home, back home again um, at the age of 20, Marianne married a colliery labourer called William Mulberry. And then they moved away from Sunderland to southwest England, where it is rumoured but not confirmed that she had four or five unregistered children who all died young in infancy. But they only registered one child, a daughter called Margaret Jane. They eventually moved back to the Sunderland area and had another daughter, after which their first daughter died. Then they had another daughter, who they named Margaret, after the daughter who had died, and a son who died age one from gastric fever. Ouch. So keeping count here, she's had eight children at this point, two of which are still alive. Yeah. Then, around a year after the last death of one of her children, William, her husband, died of an infe- of an intestinal disorder. Now, his life and the life of the son who had died previously were insured. So, Mary got a payout of £35 on William's death, which is equivalent to about half a year's wages for a manual labourer at the time, and £2.05 shillings for their son. Now, not long after her first husband's death, she moved away again and struck up a relationship with this dude called Joseph Natras. And during this time, her three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, the second Margaret, died of typhus fever, leaving her with one child out of up to nine she had probably born. How old is she at this point? Oh, God, Melanie. I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. Um, no, she's so. like 22. 21, 22. But her children are, quote, dying of typhus fever and shit, but those are just the official records killing them. So all her children are being killed by her. <laughs> like mm. there will be no doubt in your mind by the end of this that she killed every single one of her children. But yeah. the yeah, the um official like ty- like the uh, cause of death was like typhus fever or um Oh yeah, they're they're lucky to have anything in their file. A lot of the times they didn't even have to like write down how they died or what they died of. They can just yeah. say deceased. It'll yeah, it'll literally just be like a column somewhere that just says typhus, and and that'll be it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this leaves her with one child left out of the nine that she's she's probably had. So there's like four or five unknown children as well. So, but we're 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 gonna start counting it as nine at this point. Yeah. That it's nine, and then they return to Sund. So she returned to Sunderland because her husband was dead. Again. Um, her husband's dead she's left with one kid left yeah so she's a nine and then so she returned to Sunderland and took up a job as a nurse 
And she sent her only surviving child, whose name was Isabella, to go live with her mother. Okay? okay. So now she's got no children with her, even though she's had nine kids. She's got no kids with her. She's working as a nurse in Sunderland. And then she met and married her second husband. But she didn't marry her lover, Joseph Natras. Um, this guy was called George Ward and he was one of her patients. <laughs> got it. And he never really got better after all. You know, he was a bit sick and weak when she met him. And surprise, surprise, he died in 1866 after a long illness characterized by paralysis and intestinal problems. Mm. Cause of death recorded on his death certificate was cholera and typhoid. And once again, Mary Ann collected insurance money in respect of her husband's death. Less than a month later, Mary Ann got a job as a housekeeper for a widower called James Robinson. A month later, his son, a baby born to his late wife, died of gastric fever. And seemingly out of need for comfort, uh, James turned to Mary Ann who quickly became pregnant. Okay, so if you thought it was complicated before, it's about to get really complicated, but try to follow along best you can. I do summarise it. Okay? All right. Marianne's mum, then, who was looking after Isabella, Marianne's only living child, was suddenly struck ill with hepatitis, and Marianne went to care for her. Nine days later, her mother died after Mm. beginning to complain of stomach pains. Marianne then returned to James with Isabella, who, along with two of James's other children, subsequently died. Jesus. Marianne received a life insurance payment of five pounds, ten shillings and six pence for Isabella. Then, despite all the death and misery, James and and Marianne got married. Probably because she was preggers. So remember, she's pregnant at this point. Yeah. Their child was born about three months later after they got married. But probably not surprising to you now, that baby died as an infant at only three months old. Jesus. Not long after that, she got pregnant again and had another child, a son, this time, you know, uh, so again with James. Yeah. Right, so at this point, James had started to become suspicious of his wife and especially her insistence that she that he get insurance on his life. So he did a little digging and he discovered that she had run up debts, debts of £60 behind his back and had stolen <clears throat> more than £50 that she had meant to have banked. Then he found out that Marianne had been forcing his older children to pawn household valuables. So he threw her out retaining custody of their son George okay yeah so to tally this up she has had 11 children and she's also been the caretaker for other people's children that she's married into yeah she's only got one son still alive and is living with the dad James and uh 13 children have died so far Jesus. Okay. Now she's 37, homeless, married but separated, and desperate. Marianne had a friend, believe it or not, called Margaret Cotton, who introduced her to her recently widowed brother, Frederick. Not only had he lost his wife, but he had also lost two of his four children. 
Margaret was acting as a caregiver and substitute mum to these two kids, but suddenly she died of some undetermined stomach ailment, leaving Frederick all alone. Well, not totally. Marianne stepped in and soon her 12th pregnancy was underway. Frederick Cotton and Marianne were bigamously married, because she's still married to James, in 1870 in Newcastle, and their son Robert was born early 1871. Soon after, Marianne learned that her former lover, the dude Joseph Natras, yeah. was living really close by and was no longer married. So she rekindled the romance and persuaded her whole family to move nearer to him. Then, in December of that year, poor Frederick died from gastric fever. So from wedding day to funeral was about 15 months. Damn. And yes, insurance had been affected on his life and the two remaining sons. So she needed the two sons to die before she could get the insurance. Let's just yeah. remember that. Not long after Frederick's death, her lover, Joseph Natras, moved in with Marianne and the three kids. So that's the two sons belonging to Frederick and Marianne's baby boy that she'd have with Frederick. Yeah. But then Marianne struck up a relationship with another guy called John Quick Manning or Richard Quick Man. The records aren't quite clear here. And she became pregnant with him with her 13th child. One of Frederick's remaining children and the child that Marianne had had with Frederick then both died in 1872. And her lodger and first lover, Joseph became ill with gastric fever and died just after revising his will in Marianne's favour. So this leaves her... Yeah, I know. This leaves her with a son living with his father, so no concern of hers, a lover called John or Richard, who had put a bun in her oven, and one surviving son of Frederick, who was not hers in any way, called Charles. Charles had an insurance policy in place. Yeah. Now, Marianne was asked by this parish official and assistant coroner, Thomas Riley. I'm going to call him Wiley Riley from now yes. on. He asked her to help nurse a woman who was ill with, small with, Ill with smallpox, but she complained that Charles, the boy who was not her son, was in the way. And so asked Wiley Riley if, boy could, if the boy could be committed to the workhouse. Wiley Riley said she would have to accompany him if that were the case. So she told him that the boy was sickly and added, I won't be troubled long. He'll go like all the rest of the cottons. Oh, boy. <laughs> sure enough, five days later, <laughs> Marianne told Wiley Riley that the boy had died and she could take up the post. Wiley Riley was having none of it and he went to the village police and convinced the doctor to delay writing a death certificate until the circumstances could be investigated. An inquiry was held, but the jury returned a verdict of natural causes. In this inquiry, Marianne had claimed to have used arrowroot to relieve his illness and said Riley had made accusations against her because she had rejected his advances. Sorry, Wiley Riley, you knew something of us up, but she used her womanly charms and got away with it. Yeah. Or did she? <laughs> the, 
the local newspapers then latched on to the story and discovered that Marianne had been moving around northern England quite regularly and in the process had lost three children, a lover, a friend, her mother and 11 children, all of whom had died of stomach fevers. Rumours gave rise to suspicion and scientific investigation and she was eventually arrested, charged, uh, arrested and charged with the death of the last of the children, Charles. The trial didn't start until after she had made her third, after she had had her thirteenth and final child, a girl she named Margaret Edith Quick Manning Cotton, after her mum, her lover, and her dead third husband, whose name she retained. She was tried and found guilty in March of 1873. A correspondent for the Times reported that. After conviction, the wretched woman exhibited strong emotion, but this gave place in a few hours to her habitual cold, reserved demeanour. And while she harbours a strong conviction that the royal clemency will be extended towards her, she staunchly asserts her innocence of the crime that she has been convicted of. Yeah. Marianne Cotton was hanged at Durham County Jail on the 24th of March, 1873, by William Calcraft. Fun fact! William Calcraft was a 19th century English hangman, one of the most prolific of British executioners. It is estimated in his 45-year-long career, he carried out 450 executions. See, that's how you do it. If you're going to be, like, if you're wanting to kill people, do it as a gig. Like, you know, make it official. Yeah, I literally was going to make that very point. You oh, know, shit, serial sorry. killer. No, no, that's it. I'm glad you said it. That's like serial killer by state mandate. Yeah. Licensed to kill. So Marianne died, but not from her neck breaking, but by strangulation caused by the rope being rigged too short, possibly deliberately. And the reason why they think it's possibly deliberately is because William Calcraft didn't make mistakes like that. Yeah. So like, now this bitch needs to suffer. Mm, I think, you know, I think that the fact that they all believe that she murdered at least 11 children probably contributed to that. Yeah. So, of Marianne's biological 13 children, only two survived her. Margaret Edith, who was, who only died in 1954, which is mad. Wow. Her her daughter only died in 1954, yeah. And her son, George, from her marriage to James... Because he had been kept um, by the dad, the custody. Yeah. So the, the James Robinson saved his son's life basically by by retaining custody. That's awesome. Yeah. Now remember me saying that those uh, uh, her hanging inspired a nursery rhyme. Yeah. Well, here it is in all its morbid Victorian glory. Marianne Cotton, she's dead and she's rotten, lying in bed with her eyes wide open. Sing, sing, oh, what should I sing? Marianne Cotton, she's tied up with string. Where, where, up in the air, selling black puddings, a penny a pair. Marianne Cotton, she's dead and forgotten, lying in bed with her bones all rotten. Sing, sing, what can I sing? Marianne Cotton, tied up with string. The end. I love it. (laughs) I love that so much. Oh my god. So that is Britain's first official serial killer. God damn. That is some commitment, man. Pregnancy is hard. 
Yep, and you know what? I lost track of her children through that. So if anyone was listening to it and says that my math's off a little bit, I I wouldn't be surprised because I do, like the the Wikipedia kind of takes you through it kind of thing and blah blah blah. But I kept going back and counting and trying to because I knew I was having trouble yeah so I thought I'm gonna have to keep going back and counting but I forgot the difference between the children she'd had and the children that she'd um married into yeah 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 so I think that her her final death counts 21 anyway like that's fucking crazy do you know she risked her life in order to kill her own children because like pregnancy even today is dangerous it's risky but back then like there was no guarantee you were coming out of that. No, I think she was. She, I don't think she. I don't think she was getting pregnant to kill her children, though. I think she was getting pregnant because she was really um, <laughs> fertile. Um, yeah, yeah, and just kind of collecting men. I, I yeah, yeah, but she wasn't even making bank on it or anything. Like she, she was, made some she was money, insurance. but no, there was insurance pretty much on every every everyone that died. So she was constantly collecting insurance money um, on the lives of her children and the lives of the husbands that were dying and stuff. It's just sometimes the life insurance was dependent on multiple children died dying or the parent and children dying together. So she had to like get rid of multiple at once, or she like when she went. To to collect the insurance for for um it was like one of the babies i think it was i think it was charles i think the first thing she did like after the baby died was that she didn't go to the doctor she went to the insurance office to collect yeah. the money and they were like you've not even got a death certificate yet like you're a bit early and she's like oh i need the money kind of thing wow she <laughs> Okay, so here's where I'm going to put a caveat. There is a uh, very strong likelihood that her character has been assassinated subsequently by the Victorian press. And that a lot of the way that she is portrayed is probably very sexist and very sort of um, unfair and inaccurate. Totally getting that. Um, She might not have been a cold-hearted cold-blooded murderer but all you really need to do is read through the timeline of her life and see this for you to go um there's no way 21 people died around you in that way without it being you honey like yeah yeah, yeah. unless (laughs) unless you are the actual physical embodiment of like gastrointestinal uh fatalities Um, mary yeah yeah that's freaking crazy dude yeah, no, well, she well was. There was more information about how she attained. Like, there was more information, like, uh, during the trial, like the chemist, where she used to go talking about stuff. Like, but I didn't want to go too much into that because th- those kind of. You can read a book if you want to hear all of that. Yeah, but, but I mean, so it was poison, I assume. Yeah, poison. Yeah. The poison but every time. As the same poison every time? Um, well, and whatever was she probably found was the most effective. She was probably yeah. using. Um, Funnily enough, I forgot to kind of mention that that was the she, the 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 big thing that she was she was that she was poisoning people and she was a poisoner and that's kind of where we get that stereotype for um, women killers, especially serial yeah. killers being poisoners. Because before I I settled on Marianne, I was looking at doing like you know how I sometimes do like top ten lists or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about doing a list of uh 
top 10 like poisoners um uh female uh poisoners of the 19th century but i felt like it was in bad taste so i kind of dumped that <laughs> idea. so but like honestly of all of the serial killers in history like the women when it's a woman it's it honestly it's 19th century poisoner yeah yeah, yeah. statistically oh, yeah. like you know you don't get many female serial killers anymore we seem to have died out <laughs> or we've just gotten oh, okay really? like we had mentioned before women are really into true crime just sort of predominantly it's kind of our genre um so it could be that we're just we're so fucking up on the game Maybe yeah, you're only as good as the last one that was caught, aren't you? So it's yeah, yeah. like for ages, and like there's actually lots of lady killers out there, but they're not getting caught. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, only possible. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be like statistically of the ones that have been arrested and prosecuted and everything, it seems to be like 19th century, early 20th century, um, and they tend to be serial poisoners, and it tends to be husbands and children. Like people yeah, close. or or they go into um, care work, care work, care service. And, oh god, uh, yeah, that was yeah. The angels quite a few of, of those. Yeah. yeah. This is where like um, there was one I could have done that was pretty recent. Um, there was a nurse, um, but I felt like her victims' families are still around, so it's probably not a good idea to tread on that. So I think a hundred years old. Um, You're in safe. You're pretty safe okay. there. Okay. Yeah. Time time plus <laughs> tragedy equals comedy so we can make fun of it now but yeah it's um yeah lots of like ladies like poison man yeah yeah well it's my one thing that always frustrated me was that the argument that women use poison because we don't want to clean up the mess and i always thought that was such like a sexist awful awful thing and it's uh or or that we don't have the the backbone to look a man in the eye while we stab and kill him or something like that. Not two like, words for you, Lizzie Borden. Anyway, carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, it's it's a convenience thing. It's, yeah. it's you know. You don't want to go to bit, jail. Yeah, it's, it's easy to kind of, it's easier to peg somebody for stabbing someone than it is for somebody who just passed away, unfortunately, through through some sort of illness. And, you know, they were already sick to begin with. It's fine. It's It happens, you know. It's not weakness. We're just smarter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> please but yeah I, I thought the whole thing concluding with a nice little nursery rhyme was a nice little bow on the top as well so yeah well played it's a happy little accident that all right so my bit yes so for my serial serial oh my serial killer for my serial killer i got stuck the topic is pretty specifically our favorite serial killers right which for me is actually a really easy answer John Wayne Gacy, the clown killer. Not only does he have one of the highest body counts for any, Ameri- for any American serial killer, confirmed 33 victims, but believed to be as high as over 70, but his story is utterly horrifying, preying on young gay men, buried in the crawl space and left to turn into soup, you know, grotesque stuff. But I thought anyone into serial killers knows Gacy, and I do not want to be basic on a topic like this. If you want to know his story, though, let us know and I'll do a mini-sode about it or something. Side note, okay. <laughs> I went to the internet to confirm this body count thing and saw like 10 other serial killers that I am now regretting I did not see before. Like Clementine Barnabet, an axe-murdering voodoo priestess, according to Wikipedia, who murdered 35 people in 1911. Cool. Or Yevel 
Yaved Iqbal from Pakistan, who murdered 100 street children by strangling them and dissolving their bodies in acid in 1998. Yeah, think I would have heard about that one. Oh, my God. Yeah, but I didn't. I, I, yeah. So I have a lot of things in my head for future episodes about serial killers. It's all right there. Right there, baby. That's why um, people but, didn't have entire podcasts just about serial killers. Oh, I know. I know. And and I was thinking about, I'm like, can I just do something on the side where it's just like nothing but me talking about serial killers? But so many other people are doing it and I don't want to be, you know, riding that train because there's so many other fun things to talk about. Anyway, it's too late now. I got my pick and I'm happy with it. So I set some guidelines for me. I wanted to do not American and I wanted to avoid children, not because, you know, there's anything. I mean, obviously, there's something wrong with people who kill children, but I just wanted to do something different. Um. So here's my killer, Ivan Malat, the backpacker murderer. Born December 27th, 1944, to a Croatian immigrant father, Stjepan Marko Malat, and Australian Margaret Elizabeth Piddleston in New South Wales, Australia. The fifth of 14 children, his father was a big gun nut, major disciplinarian, and asshole. The kids had guns and were routinely shooting at six or seven years old. I cannot even trust my eight-year-old son with a giant stick. He will fuck you up. In his early teens, he started getting into trouble. Ivan and his brothers would break into houses or cars and rob them. His brother Boris, the only family member willing to speak out and against him, recalls that when Ivan was 17, he confessed to Boris that he shot and paralyzed a taxi driver in a failed robbery. Ivan claimed it was an accidental misfire, but he never came forward about it. The cab driver's name was Neville Knight, and if what Boris said is true, an innocent man served five years in prison for it. So Ivan spent most of the 60s in and out of correction facilities and institutions. It is said that his attitude changed when his younger sister died in a tragic car accident. He became obsessed with control, his body, his home, his his relationships, his garden, all immaculately kept. He wouldn't even drink for fear of giving up his control. One day in 1971, he picked up two female hitchhikers and threatened to kill them. And he threatened to kill them both unless one of them had sex with him. Now, he did end up being arrested for this, but for one reason or another, his lawyer looked like a real slimy shitball. Um, when it came to court, the girls changed their story and said that it was, um, what's the word? Consensual. Consensual. And he got off scot-free. So he ended up at the age of 30, marrying a 16, 17-year-old girl who was pregnant with his cousin's baby. Her, her name was Karen. He was ruthless, manipulative, abusive, and just all-around monster. If a leaf fell in the garden and sat too long, she deserved what she got. If she had to leave for any reason, he demanded receipts. In an attempt to leave him in 1987, she fled to her parents' house, where Ivan responded in the perfectly sane way of burning down their garage. In 1989, she was finally free, and their divorce was final. And this is where Ivan seemed to break. He had no one to control. He needed control. The first victims were a Melbourne couple, Deborah Everest and James Gibson. In December, on December 30th, 1989, the couple who were backpacking from Sydney to a music festival in Albury catching a, caught a ride from a man who called himself Bill. The ride is nice enough. Bill is chatty, composed, friendly, until an hour or so into the ride where he pulls off the road near Belangelo State Forest, presumably to get something out of the back of his vehicle. He gets out, walks around, and comes back with a gun. He forces them to tie each other up and then continues to drive them deep into the forest. 
He stabs James in the spine, paralyzing him, but leaving him alive to listen as he rapes and then kills Deborah. He smashes her in the head repeatedly. Her body showed a broken jaw and two fractures in her skull, as well as knife marks on her skull. So he stabs her in the head multiple times to kind of incapacitate her, and then he stabs her again like eight times in the body, front and back. He then goes back to James and stabs him front and back eight times. Ivan then covers their bodies face down in a teepee of sticks and leaves and debris and leaves them there. His next victim was a young Englishman named Paul Onions, which for the record, favorite last name ever. It's a great name. Paul Onions sounds like such a nice guy. Right? <laughs> like you trust him with the village feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I trust Onions. Yeah. Now, Onions had served five years in the Navy and was backpacking through Australia from Sydney to Melbourne in January 1990. He was picked up by a friendly-looking man with a handlebar mustache in a white Toyota Land Cruiser, and he called himself Bill. Paul started getting nervous as the driver started asking questions like, does anyone know you're here? You meeting anyone in Melbourne? And his conversation was full of racist jokes and comments, only making him more and more uncomfortable. Then, like as before, the car pulls over just outside of Bengaluru State Forest, and the driver says he just needs to get some tapes out of the back of the car. Paul noted cassette tapes between the seats, but didn't say anything. When the driver, obviously Ivan, he comes back with a gun and a rope. This is a robbery, he yells. Paul, being more frightened of the rope than the gun, fucking books it, runs into the road, cars driving past. Ivan shoots at him a couple times and misses. Finally, a car driven by a grandma named Joanne Barry, filled with two children and her daughter, stop and pick up Paul and take him to the police station. He got away, and his report got lost. In January 1991, Malat abducted 20-year-old German girl Simone Schmidl, who was hitchhiking alone on the Hume to meet up with her mother in Sydney. He repeated his tactic of charming, picking her up, pulling over, and then tying her up. He severed her spinal column, paralyzing, torturing, and then stabbing her also eight times before covering her body upside down in a teepee of sticks and debris. A year later, Malat scooped up an absolutely adorable German couple, Gabor Nugebauer and Anja Habschid, both in their early 20s. Again, the story goes, but this time, instead of stabbing them, he shoots the boyfriend Gabor six times in the head, and Anja gets her head brutally hacked off, and it is never found. In April 1992, Brits Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters, also in their early 20s, were abducted. It's believed he forced one of the girls to smoke six cigarettes before getting to business. Wrapping a maroon sweater around Caroline's head, she's forced to her knees before he shoots her in the back of the skull, execution style. In front of her friend, he kicks Caroline's head, repositioning it and shooting from different angles ten more times. She had died with the first shot. He then stabs her in the back before moving on to Joanne. Now, Joanne gets stabbed in the spine, again, paralyzed, raped, and then stabbed 14 times. Both bodies also covered in sticks, laying face down, sticks and debris and leaves and whatnot. Now, Joanne and Caroline were the first bodies found by some runners roughly five months later. A year after their discovery, another man finds the remains of the first couple, Deborah Everest and James Gibson, from four years earlier. What began as a search team of 40 soon turned into 200, and eventually all seven bodies were found. 
Shell casings with distinct silencer marks were left at the scenes. The victims' belongings were scattered within 100 miles of the Belangelo State Forest. So even when their items were found, they were useless in lo locating the bodies. Some were found upwards of Sydney. Some were found, you know, 70 miles south. And, and some were just found 70, 100 meters away from the bodies. What's he doing? Just, like, driving around throwing them out the window? I guess so. God. After the seventh body was found, the police had to admit that they were looking at a serial killer and assembled a task force. Knowing where the victims were being picked up, roughly along the Hume Highway, they ordered backpackers to steer clear. They used link analysis technology to run vehicle records, gun licensing, gym records, and police reports. 32 suspects were pulled. They found around the bodies was always a campsite, indicating that the killer spent quite some time with the victims, either during or after the murders. Most of the bodies in crime scenes suffered extreme damage, either from the elements or wildlife, so many of the pieces of the story are missing. It's believed, though, that he did not kill quickly, rather torturing for hours, even possibly days. Eventually, Paul Onions sees what's going on and calls in, hey, pull up my report from 1990. But like I said, it was missing. Thankfully, a constable at the time had taken extensive notes when he'd first come in, and they were able to find those. And this information gave them the name Ivan Malat, who was already on the list of suspects. Police set up surveillance on Millette when they learned that he sold his car shortly after the first two bodies were found. Cops found that he had not been at work on all the days that the victims went missing, and on May 4, 1994, Paul Onions flew back to Australia to positively identify Millette in a lineup. On May 22nd, roughly two weeks later, Ivan Millette is arrested for the robbery and weapons charges in the attack on Paul Onions. After his arrest, the cops go in with search warrants and find the guns, the ammo, the silencer, all matching those used in the murders, as well as clothing, tents, sleeping bags, cameras, and numerous other bits that belong to the victims. Even in the homes of Ivan's brothers and sisters, they found more items belonging to the murdered couples and peoples. Now, Ivan swore to his very last breath that he was not guilty. He was sentenced to spend the remainder of his days in prison. It was like seven consecutive life sentences. In 2019, at the age of 74, he died from stomach and esophagus cancer. Now, he never, ever admitted anything. He would never confess anything. But in 2005, it was a few years before Ivan died, but his lawyer was dying and on his deathbed said, no, he confessed to me. He definitely did it. And he did it with his sister, Margaret. Whoa. Yeah. Bombshell. Yeah. Yeah. But they never proved it and they never went after her at all yeah um and it's believed that there could have been substantially more victims that they just didn't find that forest is fucking huge and there were um at least like seven other uh tourists that went missing in other forests kind of nearby um but if this plot sounds slightly familiar it comes from one of my favorite slasher films wolf creek wolf creek i was gonna say <laughs> is this wolf creek yeah I don't actually, I'm not actually a big slasher film fan, but Wolf Creek is a motherfucker. It is so good. So good. And that film is based on this guy. Is based on Ivan Milat. Yep. Oh my god. I thought it was a bit far-fetched. Right? <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those kind of a torture gore films. Oh yeah, it's a motherfucker. And it's it's so what really impresses me about Wolf Creek is that like the first 20 minutes is all about establishing 
the three uh, victims, like these this two girls and this cute boy. And at first it's a little obnoxious, like, okay, God, get to the murder already. But <laughs> right, right before the murder happens, you've, you've come to really enjoy these people. Um, so that everything that they go through is just extra horrifying. It was just perfectly done, just brilliantly yeah. done. And, and the movie implies, you know, obviously way more victims. I think, I think he had like a stockpile of cars and, and shit from, from all the looks yeah. like a hundred victims or so that he's had. This wasn't that exaggerated, but I'm quite um, taken aback by the fact that the lawyer said that um, the sister was involved. That's quite (coughs) significant. What did she say in response to that? Was she already dead? So, um, oh, no, not not Margaret uh, Shirley. So John Marston. Uh, who was Malat's defense lawyer, was dying and wanted to clear his conscience. He wasn't just an attorney for Ivan, but the whole Malat family over the years, so he knew their history. John Marston gave a statement that not only had Malat confessed to him that he had killed all the victims, but they had a partner, his sister, Shirley Swar. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, it doesn't say, I haven't found anything about him contesting it, about Ivan contesting it or anything. He just stuck by, not guilty, didn't do it. Well, no, because he has that control thing. Like, if he were to say that he was guilty, he loses control of the whole thing. Yeah, the the, the last remaining thing that he has is denying those people, any, you know, the families of the victim, any sort of closure with him confessing. Yeah, yeah. So he took his control nature to the grave with him. Mm-hmm. And so that... that... Um, confession there by Malat's lawyer was in 2005, but all the way up until then, from 1994 till then, there had been going. There had to have been a second person, like there had to have been. Uh-huh. Um, but they they couldn't find any clues, and nobody was given nothing. And his entire family, Ivan's entire family, is just like, no, he wouldn't do it. He was a good bloke. And but except for his one brother Boris, who admittedly hates the shit out of him because I guess Ivan slept with his wife for a year. So I honestly, I don't know how, I, I, I don't know how dependable he is when he could just easily make, say anything and nobody in the family is going to say anything because they're just stepping back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he, he talks a lot of shit. His brother so Boris, the there's some great dodgy. documentary. Hmm? Are the whole family dodgy then? Totally. If this lawyer, right. Totally. Well, him and his uh, 10 brothers um had all been in and out of jail you know throughout their whole teenage years they they were you know backwoods gun nut family you know they they just they were troublemakers and uh yeah so that lawyer had his work cut out for him oh my god so seven <laughs> confirmed victims all horrifically murdered brutally and tortured just fucking brutalized and he took it to his grave, even though there was all that proof. Yep. And oh. and yeah, like the the stuff from the the backpackers was found in his siblings' houses. Like his brothers had a backpack. He's like, oh, I just gave it to me. Like there was this one couple. I think it was the first the first couple. Um, the the Australian couple from Melbourne. They uh, had swapped tents with a friend of theirs and had a hole in it because they were out picking berries or something. And um, he had used computer tape 
what their friend had used computer tape to patch the holes in the tent um, before giving it to the couple who ended up being murdered. They found that tent. And they're like, no, 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 it's ours. She's like, no, it's marked with a computer tape the same way that we know that their tent was marked. Yeah. Like, this is definitely not your fucking tent. But yeah, they, they put they... all the on it. Mm-hmm. But maybe not, like, actually active, but complacent. Oh, yeah, no, they, they... I don't know if all of them knew it was up, but I don't think they gave a shit because... It, whether he stole it or murdered some, like it was a crime that he got them anyway. So it's like, sure, I'll take the backpack. Yeah. Jesus. Shiny new camera, love it. <laughs> like, uh. So yeah, that's that's my murder, and it's I feel a lot less... good about it. <laughs> it's it's good, and and it's one I've not heard of. And at one point, I lounged onto my, like was like lounging on my bed. And I was like, maybe this is a little bit too comfortable for listening to serial killer stories. So I sat back <laughs> up again. Um, but it's certainly less complicated than Gacy's story. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I've got like six pages of handwritten notes here. I seem to blow through it pretty quickly. Damn handwriting. No, that's <laughs> I, I, um, I, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, um, Sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? That's horrendous. And I think that if you're immune to not feeling that that's quite shocking, then you need to assess yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. So I watched this documentary about it because, you know, before I got into writing it, I, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch some documentaries about it yeah. and see see if it's something that tickles my, my bone. But um, there was this one documentary from Australia because they have much very they have a very different way of um, portraying reenacting crime than America does. Yeah. It was brutal as fuck. I was like, what? Like, you didn't see him raping the girls, but you saw his body humping up against it, and it was just like, oh my god, fucking bitch, get over there. Like, just just really fucking brutalizing these actors. It was really intense. There should be laws against that. That was really intense. (laughs) Christ. I'm watching it with Tim, and he goes, are you okay watching this? I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're just actors. I mean, I know it's about a real thing, but, you know, I know that in that moment they're they're acting, but they're acting really well. They looked really scared, and that was scary. <laughs> no, I um, sometimes watch documentaries, and I think, and, and I have actually been taken aback by how far reenactments have gone and gone. Did nobody think that maybe that was taking it a little bit too far? yeah. Or when they're they're showing this reenactment of this violence happening to this girl, and then they cut to footage of, uh, you know, the interview with the mom and dad. I'm like, God, yeah. I hope they do not watch this documentary because that's that's the worst. Yeah, well, well, I mean, there's even episodes of Unsolved Mysteries where you're like, mm, that might have just been all right just to describe and not reenact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You guys, if you haven't listened to our Unsolved Mysteries episode, you really should. That's one of my favorites. It's one of our most downloaded episodes, I think. But I can't remember at this point. It was so good. <laughs> it was a good one. It was fun. That and I think Florida Man gets downloaded randomly as well. Yeah, and Lovecraft got downloaded pretty well too. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all have definitely got a type. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we see what you guys are picking. We see it. I've just that's so, reminded yeah. me that I should probably get the random topic picker open ready yeah. for like Well yeah, thanks Melanie. That was grand. I mean Yay. sick, but 
<laughs> I didn't want to go into like too much detail, but I did want to give you an a, a idea of just how brutal it is. I mean, when it comes to stabbing somebody, uh, there's there's overkill. You know what I mean? Um, and overkill is just like the biggest indicator of a person's state of mind when killing someone. And the fact that all of his victims were extreme overkill. Yeah. Extreme. And the fact that he was paralyzing them by severing their the, their part of their spine is just completely insane to me. And it wasn't just like one. It was it was a it was a thing he knew how to do and he did it well. Ugh. No. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I think the day that I stop being shocked by things like that is is a will be a bad day. So I'm glad that I'm shocked. Oh, I've I uh, I wish I could be shocked, but to be fair, I have been watching horror movies since I was like three. So. Yeah, but there's a difference between it not phasing you and you being totally jaded by it, you know, and like just be like, all right, whatever, and and being able to cope with it. I mean, you know, like I'm able to cope with it, but there's still a thing in my in me that goes, fucking hell. Yeah, for for me, I think it's the medium. Like if I'm just reading it, um, I tend not to be phased by it. Like, oh, I just killed another baby. I just killed another baby. Like if it's true crime as it's happening, like news reports of shit happening, that's when I get fucked up about it. But if it's like recounting murders, just like, oh, and, and he killed, like, raped and killed, like, 35 uh, kids by raping them. Just just those words alone, they they hurt, but they're not making me go, holy shit. I'm just kind of going, yep, that sounds about right. You know, and I think that's that's just, again, from me being a, a horror nut and a true crime uh, nut, just like, oh, fucking baby killers. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I just kind of sigh and go, oh, fucking baby killers. <laughs> But if I if I read a news story, like if a news story popped up right now of something bad happening to baby, I will lose my fucking shit. I will lose yeah. my mind. That's probably human nature, isn't it, really? You can dissociate. It's the dissociation, yeah. yeah. You can definitely sort of like compartmentalize things that aren't happening right here, right now. But then it's like as soon as, it, like if you were to be reading a story and then there was a picture of the mom and dad at the trial, I think that that would change you mentally. Because then you would be seeing the sort of the people that are still left behind, the people, the the victim's family. And I think that that kind of jolts you back into reality. Like I've read some things about that when I was researching this about the ancestors. Sorry, I should say descendants of some of the serial killers that I was looking up. Yeah. And that kind of even though I was looking up serial killers from like 100 years ago, they have descendants that. Are <laughs> still knocking about, you know, um, yeah, and the victims as well. So, um, when they there's like a modern picture of you know Elizabeth from Woolwich, whose great great grandmother was hung for, you know, crimes, you know, of poisoning, but it was never actually proven. She had an unfair trial and this, that, and the other. And you're thinking, oh God, surreal, yeah. right there. But. Yeah, you can dissociate things um, that aren't. Yeah, I can definitely see it, but the, I think I maybe I force myself to be shocked by things so that I don't shock myself by my lack of shock. Yeah, fair enough. That 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 makes sense too. Yeah, I think yeah. that maybe I'm just kind of maybe is it is it because is it self righteousness? <laughs> Do you think? 
Like, I must make sure that I am in a state of shock or else... If I'm not disgusted by this, there must be something wrong with me. Be disgusted. Yes, exactly. Note to self, be disgusted. Yeah, maybe it is like that. And I won't... No, I won't pretend that there's a a possibility of that. But you're also, like, a squishy heart. So there's there's that. There is that. I'm a squishy heart, too, but I, I... react most when I'm physically in the presence of what I need to be squishy for. Uh, you know what I mean? Saying like context is key, isn't it? Yeah. And the environment that you're in. If I'm watching a documentary, I'm much more likely to cry than if I'm reading an article. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Probably how the human brain works, I think. I think so too. Hearing yeah. hearing the screams and reenactments or the sorrow and the sobs of of actual people um seeing that pain acting out acted out in front of you uh is definitely going to have a bigger impact than just seeing it written in a article from 20 years ago 50 yeah. years ago whatever yeah. that's why they do it that's why they do the reenactments mm-hmm. pull on our heartstrings yeah so if you liked this and by liked i mean you are a sick bastard who likes dead people no i'm just joking um if you liked this topic if you liked this conversation you want to hear more of it if you have topics you want to throw at us for future episodes please hit us up at zombie fishbowl or zombie fishbowl podcast on facebook twitter or instagram we are pretty easy to find you can also email us us your topics anecdotes your favorite serial killers whatever you want at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. We super appreciate you, and we really, really would like to hear from you. Honest to God. It's not bothering us, I promise. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so on that note, let's pick a topic for next week. Yeah. Or next week's time. Whatever, next time. Next time. Yeah, we're not seeing any um schedule at the moment, are we? No. Oh, just good. I like that. Okay, so I'm going to do a random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker and I'm going to pick a topic. Okay, so I've come... uh, Sorry, it's non-Western magical beliefs. Okay, nice. All right. Yeah. So it's not a very pithy title. (laughs) (laughs) So when it says magical beliefs, where we're talking like uh, mystic practices? Yeah, so I think that as long as it's not like white European colonizers type magic, so not Wicca or paganism or things like that. Yeah. More, more let's let's stretch our, our, our arms to stretch arms stretch our minds to like latin cultures or you know oriental cultures yeah yeah and anything magic magic if they define it as a magical well see it's hard we'll have to define magical within the we'll have to define magic within the, the the podcast it might even be that we both have a different definition of magic to just yeah yeah to 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 be able to incorporate our own story into it so we'll both pick a different place in the world so we'll get to you know gather at some point or text or whatever and decide who's gonna do where yeah we'll see we'll see what we come up with i'm excited all right so i did come up with a quote and it's terrible but i'm sticking to it okay ready for this 
It's from Wolf Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do an Australian accent? I'm going to try. All right. Class. So it's basically about them talking about uh, Mick Taylor, who is playing Ivan Malott uh, type character in, in this movie, talking about um, the kangaroo population of Australia. I was doing a service really by shooting him. There's kangaroos all over the place, like tourists. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, not really an uplifting note to leave on, but, uh, you know, watch that fucking movie. It's really insane. I, I do remember that movie being horrendous. I've not in the bad way, horrendous in the sort of like, ah! Yeah. Proper proper fucking slasher film mm. like because again ser- serial killer slasher movies they don't really do it for me i'm a monster and ghost kind of girl i like i like that fantasy i like that because people weirdly enough don't scare me i know the depths of depravity that humans can can do but for the most part i trust my level of crazy to out crazy anybody who tries to harm me um so people <laughs> don't scare me specifically like the you know as as far as like that level of horror goes but the because but also the thing with slasher films a lot of times you lose that sort of the people who are being killed are humans for the most part slasher films are like oh no dumb teenagers cool kill them and you're just kind of like yeah do that mm-hmm. thing Whereas Wolf Creek did something really different, which made you actually genuinely care about these people so that every single step of their suffering was just, uh, it was a, it was a nightmare. It hurts your heart and it's impressive. And I really, really appreciated that. All right, listeners, we love you. We will see you next time with uh, non-white magic. <laughs> Pretty From much. around the world. Yeah. yeah. It's just that everyone's heard us talk about like your different European magic and Oh yeah, no, I'm excited. I yeah. can't wait to see what I find. I'm gonna look it up right now. Aye. 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 <laughs> I'm gonna go make All right. tea. Alright. Love you. Next time. Ciao. Good night and good night listeners. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye.